I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so we can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and we have got a very exciting 10 days of motorsport podcasting ahead. This Friday, we've got a tech time show with Summer's F1 technical analyst at motorsport.com. Get all your F1 tech questions into me at spannersready at gmail.com and please put F1 tech in the subject line to stop me getting confused. Monday sees Matt Trumpets bringing us a race review of the Paris E-Prix with the E-Radio Show crew. If Ivy and Treeface go to sleep on time, I'll join them as well. And on Wednesday, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens of Autosport and Formula Spy will bring you all the F1 news in a return of Wafflecast, which will also mark Chris's first full production on the Missed Apex feed. Don't mess it up, Chris. We're all watching you. I believe in you, as far as you know. But tonight, I'm absolutely delighted to have joining me in the podcasting shed a giant of F1 journalism, a reporter that has been to every Grand Prix since 1998, Mr. Joe Sayward. Welcome to the podcasting shed. It's 1988, actually. What did I say? 98. Oh, 1988. Well, it's, it's just another 200 or so, nothing too serious, you know. Well, thanks for joining us, Joe. We, we're absolutely delighted to have you in the shed. Uh, we assume you're fresh from Spain. Uh, was that race as good from Barcelona as it was from my TV screen in Bedfordshire? Uh, I think it was probably better, actually, because you get the atmosphere of the place. It's pretty exciting. Um, it was a great race. It was a really interesting race. I mean, the thing about Formula One is that it's it works on different levels. Some people want to see the cars crashing into each other, so we had a little bit of that. <clears throat> they like overtaking, so we had a bit of that. But we had a fantastic strategic battle, which is the second level of interest. And that's the kind of thing that um, long-time uh, fans who really understand what's going on really enjoy and it was a it was a real humding of a race at lots of different levels because there were fights all the way through the field as well and there was for example a wonderful strategic move by Sauber to finish eighth uh seventh on the road but they actually finished eighth which was remarkable given their cars bog slow uh, so where do you sit yourself obviously you're around on the pit straight or do you manage to get yourself around the track during the race no not really i mean the thing is you can't really if you leave the the press office and go around the track you can't really follow it uh, and some of the press offices nowadays it's quite remarkable they don't actually have a view of the racetrack <laughs> so you so, may as well do it from home joe no that's no that's absolutely not the case uh, i mean you can lap chart it from home if you like but the point of being there is that i get to talk to people and you can't do that from home and because even if you could do it from home you have to know them first so uh, being there is a very key 
element. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you can do it from home and it's not important. That's not true. If yeah. you want good stuff, you've got to be there. You've got to have the, the knowledge of the people. You've got to be able to get to the people. And you've got to have people who will talk to you. And that the people who turn up and try to do it for the first time find that it's very, very hard to get people to talk to you if they don't know you. I'm just jealous because I talk about the race in a shed in my garden mm-hmm. afterwards. So the, the glitz and glamour. Oh, that, shows, that shows great originality and inventiveness. Yes, and not at all just because it's all I've got. Uh, Joe, settle an argument for me, though, because uh, you're in, an, in and around uh, the Mercedes and Ferrari boys. We've been arguing a lot on our podcast about just which is the faster of the two cars, and they couldn't have been closer at the weekend with just so many different factors. They were never on the same tyres. Uh, we've got Vettel and Lewis, who we don't quite know how they match up against each other. It makes it impossible to tell this year who's actually got the fastest car. I think you've just answered the question. <laughs> that it's impossible. <laughs> It's impossible to tell because it differs from race to race. For example, the first few races, it was Mercedes were very quick in qualifying. And in the race, they were not as quick. And then suddenly we had turned up in Russia and it was it was the other way around. And so, you know, we thought, oh, OK, that's changed again. And we wait for each weekend. It's that close. What we can say is that uh, of the th- of the four drivers, only three of them are really on it all the time. Um, I think it's fair to say that Kimi Räikkönen may be the fan <laughs> favourite, but he's not necessarily the fastest of all the fan favourites. I would, I would definitely want to ask you about uh, about Kimi a little bit later on. Um, but Joe, do you mind if I, um, firstly, I in- invited a few, well, several dozen friends along in the live chat room. Uh, so if they have any questions, I hope you don't mind fielding the odd one. Not at all, no. They've joined us via Spanners Ready channel on YouTube. But Joe, if you don't mind, I'm about to get a little bit nosy. So earlier I messed up the year, uh, but yeah, so I was 200 races out. You've actually been to 500 races that you've reported on. Do you feel like an expert yet? Um, I, I actually don't know what it's, 505, I think. Uh, that's, yeah, it's, I don't know, do I? No, I don't suppose I do because I'm learning all the time. That's, but, that's the modest um, answer. No, 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 but it's true. It, well, if put it this way, if it's not true, you're an idiot. So... Um, you know, the thing is that you have to keep learning all the time. You have to. You also have to deal with people changing because things mm-hmm. change. You have new people. This year we have a whole new bunch of new people at Formula One. I'm meeting people who've been at Formula One for 15 years who were too terrified to talk to me. <laughs> um, I mean, these kind of things, it's quite funny in a way. Well, I mean, um, you're, you're seeing kids that like you spotted early on. Like I saw a piece from a, a Dutch site that you had spotted uh, Max Verstappen and told the world to look out for him. Well, I knew his dad. You know, so it's it, it's fairly. I mean, that's that's a bit of a, a bit of a stretch to say that I spotted him because I knew his dad and I met I met Max probably first time when he was a baby, but he wouldn't remember that. I met him when he was about nine, the first serious time, um, and I knew his mother. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't rocket science to spot him. His mother was a good racing driver. His father was a great racing driver. So if the genes got mixed up correctly, you know, a little bit like East German athletes in the old days, you can breed yourself a champ. And um, so, you know, Holland has now got a, a live wire. There are others along the way who I've seen fairly early on, but, you know, it's all part. It goes for everything, really. It goes for engineers, mechanics, team principals, uh, journalists even, you know. You meet people. as I, I used to know most of the current generation of technical directors when they were racing engineers and things like that. It's very modest of you. I would have just completely claimed that and said, yes, I star-spotted Max Verstappen. It was basically ah. me. Uh, I'd have been tempted to make up a story or two as well. Uh, do you, but do you think your fandom has been you know, dulled by the fact that it is your job? Can you still have passion for it after 500 races? Or do you feel like I do on a Monday morning when I open Excel? If you look at the travel schedules involved, you've got to be seriously passionate to do this kind of life. You have to be, because we kill ourselves flying around the world, not just not just um, in human terms, but also financially. Remember, a lot of people think that these journalists swan around and and somebody in the big bad world out there pays for it all. The answer is not like that. In a lot of cases, we're paying for it. Yeah. There are some times when you think, oh, but when you get there, the minute you walk in the paddock, it's the same old, you're, you're full on again, foot on the floor. And uh all about that's the, the magazine grand prix plus it has the catch line it's all about the passion 
See, that's the thing, isn't it? If you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I'm very... So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my, my wife is a, a singer. She's a, a performer, a jazz singer. And then she goes, I'm, I'm off to work. And I just, I, I seethe with jealousy, to be quite honest. But uh, do, do you mind if, I, if I'm a bit nosier still and just ask how you got into this position uh, within F1 that lets you talk to the greats like, you know, Ayrton Senna, Nigel Mansell, all, all my heroes. Uh, it doesn't happen by accident, presumably. Uh, presumably no. you, had to, you had to go to school. You're an English major. And... I no, I'm not. No, I'm a historian. Um, oh. I, uh, I have a BA in history. My specialization was secret services. Um, and uh, I've written a book about secret services as well as Formula One activities. Um, along the way when I had a brief moment. Um, but I, I like motor racing. I, when I grew up, my family didn't have a car, so I wasn't really any background in motor racing at all. Um, but in 1979, uh, I suppose it was, um, I've got to think about this because it's so long ago. <laughs> the, uh, I'm getting the there myself. French, the French Grand Prix at Dijon was won by Jean-Pierre Jabouy in a Renault. But behind him in second place, there was this fabulous battle going on between Arnoux and Villeneuve for second place, which is quite famous. They were knocking into each other and just driving around like a pair of lunatics. Um, and I'd been watching it on the BBC for about a year at that point, just thinking, this is a cool sport. And I saw that and I just thought, this is a major league cool sport. How can I get into this? Uh, and I sort of decided that that was going to be my ambition. Well, you, know, you go along to the careers people at age 16 and say, I want to be a Grand Prix <laughs> reporter. And they say, go and work in Tesco. Very mate. good. How about an astronaut? That's a better idea. You've got more chance of doing that. Yeah. And I said, no, no, no. Well, that's as maybe. But, you know, I actually do want to uh, do that. Um, and as an aside, actually, I met an astronaut some years ago. And he was, uh, I guess, a little bit like me, but it took him a bit longer. Um, he just refused to give up. And he, he had five different degrees before they finally said oh we're gonna to have to take him because he's got a degree in everything um and he was brilliant as a as a as a um a motivational speaker for kids which what his job was after he retired as an astronaut he was absolutely astonishing because he'd go into schools and everybody wanted to be an astronaut when he left yeah um anyway so that's that's the story and i went to university and uh even before it had ended i'd, I'd spotted a a gap in the reporting market that autosport had um, they didn't have anybody reporting on European Formula 3, which is not surprising because they paid 12 shillings or whatever it was. So this is, this, is, um, this is why you were restricted to a tent and a typewriter, I was reading. A tent and a typewriter. I set off with – actually, there were three things, a tent, a typewriter, and a thing called an interrail card, which you're able to get when you're young. And you can spend a month going anywhere in Europe for – I can't remember how little it was, but it, was, it wasn't much money. And so I set off and I traveled Europe on trains, went as far as Sicily and Sweden and places like that, and uh, basically went broke and starved a lot, um, got to meet lots of people, yeah. wrote a few reports. Uh, this is before the age of the internet as well, I know. even before email. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the original reports, some of them were handwritten and carried back to England by drivers and... Things like that. So it was very good training. Well, you're, then, you're definitely beating uh, Will Buxton's, uh, you know, hard, hard up story where he had a camper van. You know, this is this is many degrees yeah. better. And we fed him. To be fair, we, 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 we fed Will on a fairly regular basis when because he was a sort of starving million. Actually, there's a nice story about Will because Will wanted you know, he was an enthusiastic young guy, wanted to wanted to be a journalist. And he and he got in contact with me and said, how do you do it? And I said, um, well, it's a bit of a long story. He said, well, can we meet up? Can we meet up? And I said, well, I live in France. And he said, well, are you in England? <laughs> I said, I am going to England. Yes, I'm going on holiday yeah. with my, I think he was seven-year-old son at the time. And we're going to the seaside. And, and we're going to go and dig sandcastles at Frinton-on-Sea. Oh, I love Frinton. I'm an Essex boy. It's, a, it's the best sand <laughs> in the world. And and I grew. I went there in my childhood, so I went back with my son. And Will said, I'll come. And so he turned up at Frinton-on-Sea, and we dug sandcastles one afternoon, the three of us. And uh, during the course of digging sandcastles, I told him what to do. And here he is today, a major league megastar in whatever TV station it is, NBC. That's amazing. Will Buxton gate crashed your family holiday? 
Well, yeah, it was just the two of us, but it was, you know, we were digging sandcastles. It was fun. So just out of interest, no motivation at all. Um, where are you going on holiday this year, Joe? No, uh, I'm only kidding. But... <laughs> Somewhere I'm not telling. Uh, you better not, because the whole live stream is listening at the moment. And um, Christopher Fonseca in the chat room there just has a quick question, if we don't mind having a little aside. He says, Joe, you mentioned earlier that F1 still has an air of exclusivity. This was before we, we hit record. Um, how does journalism and the fan base need to evolve? to make it more accessible and before the show you know you were talking about your involvement in this podcast as something that you feel you know quite passionate about you know not coming down to our level but you know doing this kind of thing no it's called giving back um i think that we have we david tremaine of grand prix plus and i have a dinner each year in spain where we and it actually started out with will buxton um where we just we we have dinner for young journalists who are trying to make it and we pay for it um, and we have a few other people, and it's quite a nice event. But people say, well, why on earth would you waste money creating competition for yourself? And the answer is <laughs> no. because when I started out, there were certain people who helped me. Absolutely. And it's called, it's called paying it back, paying it down. I can't remember the expression, but there is an expression. Paying it forward, Joe. Thank you very much. Paying it forward. And and that's what we do. Well, and that's that what I want to do with the fans because I was a fan once. I walked through, you know, I walked through the country lanes for a considerable number of miles to get to Silverstone and Browns Hatch in the old days. And I think that we have not so much of a – yes, it is a duty in a way. It's a duty to amuse, inform educate if we can teach people about what the history of the sport is and generally just get them excited no it's, it's, it's very, like doing yeah. it. and meeting people is really for me it's it's the second best thing um to going along to don't laugh that's Ooh, very that could have gone two ways could have gone two ways <laughs> it's, it's it's the other thing i really like doing is going and giving careers talks because then you can you can you, know, you can light a spark that's really valuable for somebody, and get them on a path where they do something interesting with their lives, what they want to do. But having meeting the fans, um, and I do audiences at probably six or seven races a year, where you have to pay. But you know, at the end of the day, I think most people think it's worth it. You get a you get a night out, you get fed, um, you you get to me. Get, sorry, you get to listen to me, and the more I drink, the better it gets. You know, so. Ah, good. In that case, I don't feel like I needed to hide my drink in this uh, frozen cup. But uh, that would be good to know going forward, if uh, should you ever come back again. Um, but it's wonderful to hear, you know, a professional at the very highest level, such as yourself, talking about that. Uh, obviously, like, I'm I'm in engineering, and you remember the people who tutored you. You remember the people who stuck out right. to you, the people who gave you a good work ethic. And if you have a passion for your trade, you're desperate to pass that on to the 18-year-olds. You know, an engineer is not sitting there going, oh, I'm going to do myself out of a job if I teach this lad how to do some wire locking properly. So, no. well, one, one of my many jobs, I don't know if you noticed this one, is I'm actually a, uh, an occasional lecturer at Cranfield University on their, on their master's in, would you believe, motorsport engineering. Well then, And I go along to talk to them to explain to engineers that it's not just about building fast cars. You've actually got to fit into the world around you um, and the politics and all the other things you need to know as an engineer. And that's really nice too because you, you, you get to meet some young engineers coming up and every so often someone comes up to me in the paddock and goes, oh, I went to one of your lectures once. And I go, because oh, <laughs> you can't remember everybody as much as you try. No. Um, but it's a, quite a rewarding feeling. So, Joe, just quickly on that, I mean, we have young journalists coming uh, through here all the time uh, because of the the platform we're on and we can't pay anyone anything. Uh, it's brilliant to get to get these young bloggers on and get their opinion full of enthusiasm. I mean, if you were now in the Internet age, would you be like our, our Chris Stevens? I'll give him a plug. Fantastic young journalist who works with us. Uh, you know, would you be there with your own blog? You know, do you feel like it would be more competitive now because it's more accessible? Well, I, th I think most of the journalists will tell you it's not accessible um, because getting to the races is the hard bit. And my argument to them would be, and I've said this to everybody from Will Buxton way back to Andrew Benson and other people, way back in the 80s, if you want to do it, um, you've got to go and do it. It's no good sitting at home saying it's not fair. And yeah. you know, that's what I did. I got up and did it. And I starved and I traveled and I slept standing up and all these things. And I had great adventures, met lots of wacky people, had a great time. And in the end, somebody recognized what I was doing and took me on. And that's how you do it. Yeah. And, well, and, and yeah. staying at home saying it's not fair, we would be great if we could, um, is uh, you hear it all the time. But 
it, you know, and people who then attack you for saying, um, you know, get out there and do it. And you say, you can't. Well, we all did it. You know, the ones who made it are people who did it. Yeah, and I, and I would. So I get would, off your asses, <laughs> stop whinging about it, and go earn some money. They need to pull themselves up the bootstrap. That's what the millennials these days need to do. Um, no, absolutely. That, that, that sounds like a Norman Tebbit. You probably don't even know who Norman Tebbit is, do you? I'm yeah, far yeah. too young, Joe. Far too young. Exactly. Um, a conservative not, politician who told the working the working classes to get on their bikes and go and find work, which didn't go down awfully well. But uh, the truth of the matter is that if you want something enough, you'll make it happen. Uh, yeah, certainly easier to say some, from some positions uh, than others for that particular MP. But uh, yeah, I mean, for example, we have Chris Stevens, who wants obviously to do Formula One and Formula E. And he does do that for a website that doesn't attend the races. Um, but he now goes to amateur racing and does journalism on that. And we've got people at Downforce Radio who go and do commentary at events where no one's going to listen, but they just get out there, do the commentary, yeah, put it on the, the internet anyway. Exactly. It. But, but the, the difference is that you have to go to places where, in the end, someone recognises what you're doing. So going to Thruxton every week, <clears throat> while, it, while it might be good experience, won't necessarily get you noticed. Because what you need when you're, when you're going through the ranks is... Um, is at a certain point to be picked up by one of the organizations that actually pays for people to do things. Because if you don't, if you try and come all the way on your own coin, you're never going to make it because it costs too much. Grand Prix racing is a huge amount of money. To go. I mean, there are some people who, who are just professionally rich or mummy and daddy help. Yes. <laughs> um, and they pretend that mummy and daddy didn't help them. But, oh yes. James you Blunt. Know, they, you, you arrive in, uh, you arrive in formula one with no visible means of support. Um, and it's a bit obvious, really. Oh, right. I see. So if you turn up uh, somehow getting along when no one's paying you money, it's pretty obvious there's a silver spoon tucked away somewhere behind those molars. Yeah. But but having said that, what often happens is that people join. There are fewer magazines. They all seem to be owned by the same person these days. But um, there are the Russians. There are still magazines out there. You can get jobs. You can learn how to do it. You can get them to pay to take you around the world and learn from people who are on those magazines. And then, as happens, generally speaking, people move on. I mean, I was very lucky in a way because autosport was sort of clogged solid with at the time I arrived there. You know, there was Nigel Robart doing Formula One. There was Ian Phillips doing Formula Two. Quentin Spurring did sports cars. Um, and Jeremy Shaw did Formula Three. And there was nowhere to go except that uh, European Formula 3 wasn't covered. And then touring cars at that point emerged as being a big thing. So I was able to jump onto that. And then suddenly Nigel Mansell arrived and Autosport decided they wanted two Formula 1 reporters. Big red five. Oh, yes. and, that's, and that's really what happened. Um, and I was in the right place at the right time. And to be fair to me, I delivered the goods. I delivered what they wanted. So, you know, that's what you have to do. Okay, just a bit, a bit of a shout out to the chat room. Loads of them asking, you know, your opinion on Liberty Media, which I definitely, you know, want to go on to a bit later. Yeah. Uh, it's great to have someone uh, specialising in, you know, who understands the business side of Formula One. Uh, normally, I'd have my American co-host Matt Trumpets on here. He's he's so gutted he couldn't make it on today. However, it would have been an attempted three-hour podcast if he was here. So perhaps this is best for now. Uh, so I'm not ignoring you, Cody Coretti, uh, Fatal Drum, uh, in the chat room. There, we will get to that subject, but first. First, uh, I have access to somebody in the podcasting shed that's inside the Formula One paddock, and I darn well want to take advantage of it. See, the truth is, Joe, as much as we podcasters talk a big game, really, we don't know anything more than than our listeners. We're just, you know, maybe a bit more confident with it. Um, we were lucky enough maybe to have the odd team member that will chat to us on occasion. Absolutely nothing compared to having boots on the ground. So look, while I don't want to, you know, descend into gossip, I know you're going to be in Monaco, you know, the most glamorous uh, of F1 locations, but just a bit more generally, I know you're not going to, you know, reveal the private lives of drivers, but, you know, do any of the, the drivers... Why would, why would I necessarily know that? It's a really interesting point because they are they are very well um, insulated from the world. 
they they disappear off uh, occasionally on Sunday nights they may go a little bit wild but what is the what's a proper journalist doing on a Sunday night writing the is, we're all working <laughs> and it's only the ones who aren't really I mean the TV types they often they've stopped working by then so they might be go off and see all this the lewdness and rudeness or the punch-ups or whatever that goes on I tell you I what then been, I haven't been to a party on a Sunday <laughs> night at a Grand Prix since 1988 oh I don't believe you Joe I just I know, don't I have, believe I have you. not been I, I can honestly put my hand on my heart and swear that you need some staff that's what you need even on oh, Miss yeah, Apex I have staff in order to get staff you have to get the <laughs> money and the money is hard to find because there's loads of free people out there doing it for nothing <laughs> no exactly and uh, so yeah the reason I ask though is because I was speaking to somebody who's regularly in the panic paddock a little while ago and he was he's very much a fan in a team of driver A over driver B and he's always yeah. talking about this driver and in fact when this driver um crashed out on lap one he said well that was pretty much the race over for me so why do you prefer driver a over driver b as well driver a bought me a pint and you know and that's about it you know so i was just wondering if there's any drivers you know who like go out and make the effort to you know warm no, to the journalists more really. than others they no? do what they're told to do <laughs> uh, but but the point is is not really that it's that some of them want to be um it's not being friends with because you're, you're friends with people um if if you like them you know, uh, I, there's, there are some drivers who I very much like as human beings, but you have to sort of get to know them. Uh, and it's hard to get to know them because in order to get the time to, to get to know drivers very closely, you've got to spend an awful lot of time each weekend um, hanging around, waiting for them. And you can't afford to do that as a journalist. You've got 20 drivers you have to chase around. Um, and so you have to what, – what generally happens is they have – little press conferences and everyone rushes from one press conference to the other. I don't do that. I, I just go hunting on my own because I need a different kind of, um, information. And, uh, there's a whole bunch of drivers who I'm quite close to and who talk to me, but not everybody. And I don't have time to talk to all of them. Um, and so, and what I try to do is meet them when they're young coming up. But very often, quite often happens as they become famous, they forget the people who were there at the beginning. Um, it's just the way of the world. So what you're telling me is you're not going to tell me who your favorites are within the paddock. Uh, do I have favorites? Yes, I do. I, I'm sometimes I'm disappointed when one driver retires because I sort of... And you yeah, want to see them race. That's very yes. true. Yeah, I, I, would, I would admit to that. But if you if you actually say... Does that appear in print? Some people will say it does. Some people say it doesn't. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, if they do a good job, and if they do a good job, and they're nice people as well, that's even better. But this is a conversation know, I, we had. Uh, as, as an example, sorry, um, uh, Sebastian Vettel is an, a really interesting and amazing guy, but he won't anybody near him. He won't talk about anything other than racing cars, and he's very hard to get to talk to. So. Um, you know, to have any time with because he's a Ferrari driver, it's difficult. But um, as a result of that, you can't really build a meaningful relationship with him, which means that you don't have an affinity with him in the way you would, as much as you, you think you'd like him and he's a really interesting guy. You can't um, get inside. You, you don't really know him. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen's another example, the same kind of thing, where Kimi Raikkonen deliberately is boring um, because if you're boring, you get fewer requests. If, you, if they know yeah. that you're going to say something stupid rather than something sensible, people don't ask you anymore. And he's not really like that. And this is the sort of, in a way, it's the, uh, the irony. I mean, he is very, very popular. It's um, backfired, hasn't it? It's backfired because well, he's, it, he's it has, so it dry. It's backfired, but it's not really backfired because the number of interview requests he gets are pretty limited because, you know, yes, no, and I don't give a shit really don't make a great interview. Okay, I'm getting a bit of abuse from the chat room here. Uh, Christopher's telling me that free internships are ruining the job market for young people, referring to the young journalists I use here. I give them much needed exposure. Darn you, chat room. Uh, Othnell is saying that I pay my staff with chocolate coins. That's true. That has happened. That's a true thing. And Hannah is saying, why are you bringing up Monaco when you hate Monaco, Spanners? Calling me out for being a bit of a hypocrite, Joe. Now then, I've had this discussion with the lads that were covering it for... Um, uh, in for uh, for the Formula E race this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, and also I think I've had Jack Nichols yell at me on Twitter as well. I feel, as somebody who watches the races from home, that there's not a lot on offer 
when we see it on TV, we don't get to see a lot of racing necessarily. We certainly not a lot of overtaking. Yet everyone in the media uh, lords it up. The drivers love it. The teams love it. The people close well, to Formula One love it. Do you know why that is? I just imagine very, it's a massive it's party. Very simple, because it's you, it, until you've gone up to the exit of Casino Square and watch what those lunatics do in racing cars, <laughs> you don't understand. It is it's ballet. It's the Bolshoi ballet of of the automobile world. These guys are going around and they are they are slithering within micrometers or whatever the word is of walls they are going at vast speed through places you can't go at vast speed they're doing things which are absolutely magic on top of that it's a beautiful place some of the people are disgustingly horrible gold encrusted uh, i have to be careful what i say because this is a family show it is but let's, let's just say Ariviste <laughs> is a very good way of putting it there are some really naff people in monaco but it is a beautiful place. I think Somerset Maugham said it was a sunny place full of shady people. And that sums it up quite nicely. But it is beautiful. And it is very exciting when the Grand Prix is on. And it is really the most glamorous Grand Prix because it is so different to the other. Um, nowadays, we have Singapore where they do the same thing on a slightly wider course, but we do it in the dark, which is absolutely sensational as well. And you know, that is yeah. another absolutely brilliant race but people say to me you know what's your favorite race happens to me all the time what's your favorite race that would be a good question "Ah, well i have different favorite races for different things like for example where do i like to go because it's a nice town i like melbourne i like montreal i like austin um where do i go because it's great racing uh circuits well i like spa i like suzuka i like Monza, these are places of legend. They are fantastic racing circuits. Where do I go for atmosphere? I go to Monte Carlo. I go to Singapore. Where do I go because it's sunny and it's in the spring? I go to Barcelona. Um, you know, Russia, I'm beginning to warm to. Brazil, really? I like, but it's just, it, it's a real sort of assault on the senses um, every time you go there. It's a big old city and it's a rough old place. Okay, then I, I, I will definitely want to question you about why we go to certain tracks the fans uh, don't like. But before that, it's very simple. Yeah, well, I know it pays for the tracks you do want, maybe. Yeah, it's just called green and folding. If they <laughs> deliver the money, they get the deals. You know. Well, that's to a be, whole there section. Aren't many we can I just... really don't like. So you know, um, it's just you know some of the ones we went to in Asia. India was horrible. Um, Korea, Korea? quickly. Korea was just a, a nightmare. Uh, because it was a bit like going to Merthyr Tidville um, and just in the middle. And I'm sorry if people from Merthyr Tidville. Joe Saywood does not represent Miss Apex podcast or Down Horse uh, Radio. <laughs> uh, but it's just some, it was just 400 miles from anywhere. And the idea was they were going to build a city, you know, it was real sort of la la land, yellow brick road stuff, you know. Okay, uh, Blackout19 in the chat room says, Ericsson definitely goes too fast round tiny Monaco roads. Has Ericsson ever gone too fast? And I'm looking forward. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Back to watching how hang many... on, hang on, hang on. That's not fair. <laughs> oh, okay. Erickson, Erickson, I had this conversation with somebody. The, the, the subject came up today about Lance Stroll. Uh, because everybody knows that Daddy paid for his drive at Williams. Yes, sure. he did. And and Marcus Ericsson, everyone knows that some rich Swedish people paid for his drive. Yes, it's true. However, are these guys exceptional racing drivers? Yes, they are. But when you go to Top Gun, you can't all be maverick. So the 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 ones who aren't quite maverick, um, I can't even remember. Vi- no, Viper was the instructor, wasn't he? I'll forget the I'll forget the code names or whatever they call them, the, the uh, call names. You're but- making me want to watch it again. <laughs> no, but that's the truth of it. You know, it's 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 the top of the top, and therefore the guys who are second don't look good. Oh, okay, and, and good. I don't want to enter the danger zone with you, but uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, but not my first rodeo. But we're not fans of uh, Ericsson generally on the panel, and as Hannah says, uh, we do feel that Ericsson does belong in the sea. So, okay, you're, what you're saying is, even for a pay driver, the standard is is very well, very high. Go go and look it up in GP2 statistics, and I think you'll find that Ericsson probably won more races in GP2 than Bianchi, oh, okay. for example. This this is you know, this is hurting and, me. Well, no, but it is. You know, go look at the numbers. Go look at the numbers because the numbers. Okay, GP two can be misleading because of that ridiculous reversing of the grid thing. But that's that's the way it is. And people who win races in in GP two or in Lance Stroll's case, a lot of races in Formula Three are. In my mind, all of them are probably worthy of F1. The fact is, he's come in too young, too soon, too ambitious, and and Daddy's got too much money. Well, I mean, we're way off script now. We're way off script. But since we're down this rat hole, I'll answer the chat room's questions there, which is basically uh, Palmer is in a similar situation. It's not stroll money at all. But yet, you know, four seasons in GP2, was the GP2 champion. Suddenly, in a season where it seems like the driver can make a real difference, Palmer's suddenly struggling. And as British fans, it's a bit heartbreaking for us, but it is looking really, really bad. I don't think we've seen the best from him. Yeah, this year he's had a lot of bad luck. Really has. Um, and you know the Renaults have gone wrong for him at bad times, which have messed up his setup. It ruined the whole weekend. Sometimes yes. it happens on yeah, a Friday. Yeah, it happened in Australia as well, didn't it? Happens it? Yeah. on a Saturday. You know, he's ha- he's just had a lot of pain to deal with. I think we'll see him do better. But then again, he does have a problem, and that is he's up against the Hulk. Yes. The Hulk is a really class act as a racing driver. Now, people say he never made it. He's been around too long. The same with Perez. You know, everyone mm-hmm. thinks they've been around too long. It's We're big rough. Perez fans here. Those, those guys are both in the right car, just as Valtteri Bottas has shown, in the right car. They will win races. They will win championships. But if you don't have the right car, it's tough. Steve, the, sorry. Other thing is, the other thing is where Palmer's missing out is that he's not even getting close to Nico Hulkenberg this year, whereas Perez has got Esteban Ocon. And Ocon has been clearly breathing down Perez's neck. And before too long, because he's so new, everyone's looking at Ocon going, wow, this guy's really good. Because if you can get that close to Perez in that shorter space of time, you've got to be a bit special. And he is, I think he's very special. James Funnel in the chat room, though, is taking a bit of an issue with you, Joe. He's saying Joe is too kind or a journalist that just doesn't want to insult people. I guess you do have to skirt a line, but I don't, I don't, no, you don't I strike don't, me as I, the kind I'm, who would be shy, Joe. He obviously doesn't read my stuff much because <laughs> I'm very happy to insult people if I don't think they're doing the job. But I think it, it, one has to be fair to say that this generation is the highest caliber across the it's board great. Yes. of any generation that I have seen. And, and I've seen now duh, too many generations um, of drivers where there have been some really bad ones, but there are no really bad ones nowadays. And that's what I'm really trying to say. You know, I can, I, I, I don't feel it is correct to be abusive to guys who are really good um, just because they're not as really good as somebody else. Now, 
I had a problem with Pastor Maldonado, for example, because on his day, on his one day, he was absolutely sensational. You know, there's a lot of people who are convinced that someone else was driving that car that day. Spain 2012, you know, yeah. Spain 2012, because he drove unlike Maldonado. And then everyone thought, okay, he's done it. Now he's going to mature and become a full-time winner. And they just went back to demolishing carbon fiber again. And, <laughs> you know, and as a result of that, he ended up getting booted out of Formula 1. He was always quick, but he didn't have... He didn't have the necessary reserve. And, and in the 1950s, Pastor Maldonado would have died young because you couldn't drive Grand Prix cars like that. And that's, you know, that's where you have to have this balance of being able to finish. You, you have to always be in the race. If you're not in the race, it's all very well being fast. But if you're not in the race at the end, it, it's, it's tortoise and hare stuff. It's not rocket science. It's... Definitely. Speaking of uh, being nice to drivers, uh, this is a yellow card for you in the chat room, Steve, saying at least Ericsson's merchandise on the website is still full price. A reference to Julian Palmer's uh, Renault stuff being reduced in price by half. Uh, We hope that that is purely for commercial reasons and not uh, a a foreshadowing of the future. That's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? But there you are. I can't say I keep up with the price of merchandise, I must admit. No, I wouldn't either. This is the danger, Joe, having a chat room. It does get you off script on one hand. On the other hand, they give me a lot of valuable information. But uh, the time has come. I do desperately want to talk to you about uh, GP Plus magazine because I am in awe. And the reason I'm in awe is because we're pretty proud of ourselves for getting an hour of inane podcast rambling on the night of the race. You know, that's our our little desperate attempt at a USP is that we sit down, you know, of the evening of the race and we get it out ready for people's Monday morning commutes. We accept the tag of wrong but first because there's really not any money involved. Uh, but you get it's, it's about 90 pages for your subscription online magazine published for your customers within seven hours of the race. Uh, so oh, firstly, no, seven, seven hours is a late one. That was a late one, was it? Okay, well, that's the one. A record, record of which we are immensely, um, I don't know if proud, but it's just sort of, nowadays it's more like, holy cow, how did we do that? It was two and a half hours. We did a... Uh, a 90-page magazine. Now, that's ridiculous. I was talking to my wife about this, and she said, put in the question, secondly, how? So you're answering how, and you said we. So, good. So you're not a Goliath. You're not sitting there scribing I on am, your own. Well, I am a sort of a Goliath, but um, <laughs> oh, you know, even oh. I will admit to this one. But um, there are... See, I don't want to tell you the secret, because then anyone, everyone would do it. Really? Um, there's knowing yeah, how, yeah. and there's having the ability, though. Well, that, that, that's also true. But there is basically there are, there are three people, four people involved um, of those four, two of them just write. I write as well. And uh, we have Peter Nygaard who takes the photographs. Now, um, and he has a number of people who help him as well. Um, so it's a little bit bigger than that. But fundamentally, it comes down to three people. Um, uh, Mike Dudson is a columnist. He doesn't. He's not actively involved in producing the magazine. So it comes to the words. It's David Tremaine and I. And David Tremaine and I go back to. We've known each other for as long as we've been in the business. Um, and we used to be rivals actually at one point, um, and then oh, we became colleagues. And tale as old as time, Joe. Yeah, it's it, it's it's all funny stuff. But um, we've ended up as business partners. And uh, I, we, we we write about. I don't know, 40% of the magazine each, I think, probably a little bit more. Uh, and then Mike does a little bit in between. Uh, and then Peter does the photographs. But the, the, the putting it all together on a Sunday night is is fairly spectacular. It's a bit like the Keystone Cops go publishing. But um, we've done it 210 times, I think, now. And so we, we're kind of used to it. We've only had, in that time, we've only had – what I would call two or three major fallouts. Um, and, uh, <laughs> That's not bad going. And, well, it's very high Because me and Matt Trumpets, my co-host in here, I mean, we fall out weekly, if not daily, over our WhatsApp yeah. chat. So. Well, the, way, the thing about David and I is that we're very different. He's very explosive. And I am the calmest person you will ever meet. And this is something which I think is really funny because people on my blog always think I'm a grumpy old bastard. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> oh, no I'm the calmest bloke. I'm the calmest <laughs> bloke in the world. And I don't get upset about anything except stupidity. And stupidity just kind of annoys me. But doesn't. it doesn't annoy me in a massive – I just – I just sort of dismiss it as, oh, God, you know, can't somebody use their brain a bit more than that? So if you get a snappy reply, it's usually because the, the question is stupid. 
<laughs> okay, so just from a marketing point of view, obviously you have your name and reputation in, in Formula One, but there's so many people creating content from inside and outside the paddock. To do a subscription service, it's a ballsy business model because, I mean, a lot of people will click on an autosport thing and it says, you know, you've reached your maximum level of what's-its and they go, Meh, well, maybe trashf1blog.com has got the news as well. Well, of course they do. The, the, the fact is you've got to have something original and different and forget to get people to pay for it and that's what we have we have something original and different now you don't know that until you buy it yeah um but you know autosport is autosport is autosport you know it's 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 even now 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 it's merged with motorsport.com it seems like they're sort of shoveling the content around a bit too apparently i don't know i don't really keep an eye on it that closely um but you know it's not like autosport used to be um, and I think that that's something that a lot of our readers, uh, they remember autosport as being something a bit different and they, they want that. And cause our magazine, people say it's old fashioned. Yes, of course it's old fashioned, but actually, you know something, when you want to know what happened in a Grand Prix 10 years afterwards, and you look back to the reports that started appearing about 15 years ago, where everything's in little bits and pieces. You know, there's a breakout box going, wow, wasn't such and such brilliant. But it doesn't tell you what happened in the race. And what they did is that they, they created these magazines that were based on the fact that people had watched it on telly. And so they didn't give coherent stories. And so you ended up with a completely incoherent magazine 10 years later. So our magazine, it, it's, you know, you get qualifying, you get the race, you get features. You actually don't get much in the way of news, but often the newsy the features are newsy and the columns are opinionated and the pictures are great so well this is a lot of the news is from press conferences now when you you see things yeah. that are breaking well, news no, but yeah. to try to beat to try to beat uh, and get proper news out is is really fun and i it's one of the great challenges i have nowadays is to is to to come up with news that other people haven't had and i've done quite well recently i mean there's quite a few stories out there in the last two or three weeks where nobody's got a sniff of it and uh, bingo, bango, there it is. Okay, uh, Hannah in the chat room is saying she hasn't seen Top Gun. And rightly, the rest of the chat room is saying she's not allowed back in the chat room until she jolly well goes and sees it. If I'm making you feel old in any way, Joe, it, trust me, my it, chat room does make me feel not old. Really, it's not really a girl film, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, let's but, not go there. <laughs> but having said that, in that time, Tom Cruise was quite pretty. So young ladies might like him. Uh, the other thing to bear in mind is you should watch it if you're a Formula One fan because Goose, Anthony Edwards, is a huge F1 fan and comes to races pretty much every year. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. But before there was Top Gun, ah, you're impressed. I'm impressing you. This is going well. Before yeah. there was Top Gun, there was actually no the internet. Um, and surprising to hear that your uh, Joe Saywood um, newsletter your mm-hmm. email newsletter was going out in 1993, and I, for which I apologise, I was 12 in 1993. I don't really remember. Uh, yeah, no, I know. It's, uh, it's this podcasting shed. I don't go out in the sun. It keeps me looking young. Uh, but I don't really remember there being the internet in that time. So really, I mean, was that a game changer for you, being able to distribute your work directly to people? Uh, it, well, uh, the reason it happened is that um, that was just at the very, very beginnings of email. And <clears throat> when email came along, um, we were aware that American fans had they would use uh, they had Road and Track and and Auto Week and and uh, I can't remember who a car and driver and National Speed Sport News maybe and these things would come out a week to ten days after an event had happened. So. The arrival of email meant that we could fire in uh, a newsletter into the States a day after it happened or once a week. It, on a Monday morning, it goes out. It has gone out on a Monday morning ever since 1993. And that was really designed because the world did become a little bit smaller. Um, again, it, it's changed a little bit over time because the subscription model, of course, people don't want to pay for it. But no. the best news that I have doesn't go on my blog. People think, you know, break stories on the blog. Yeah, I do sometimes, but I break most of my stories in the newsletter, which is for the industry. And, you know, that's why the industry talks to me a little bit more because the ones who read it really know just the level of which things are happening. Um, and so that's why... Um, one has to one one has to guard 
um, good stuff. You've got to make a living. We all have to make livings. So where do I go to the newsletter, by the way? Can, is it something that someone like me can get hold of? Or? If you go onto the blog and you just, you just click on my face, I think it is. Click on um, your face. <laughs> You get to a page and it's and there's it says something like inside a newsletter. Hang on, can I do it? Can I do it while I'm podcasting? I don't know. We we'll have to see. If I go horribly wrong, it's all my fault. I'll, I'll put. I'll tell you in advance. Well, in that case, while you're looking for it, Joe, let me go to the chat room again because they're yeah. obsessed with Top Gun. Uh, there's someone in there saying uh, 1987, which was when Top Gun was released, was 12 years before I was born. Go away, please go away. Uh, Michael Howland is pointing out that. Uh, no, sorry. Often they're saying ER is no longer on TV, Joe. Uh, this has caused. Yeah, I don't watch television much because I'm on the road a lot. I watch all kinds of funny things, but television is not massive in my world. Anyway, to answer the original question, you you just go to my blog, Joe Blogs F1. If you don't know that, I don't know how you even heard of me. Um, you you click on my face, it goes to a page, and there it says inside a newsletter, and it costs 199 quid a year, which will scare away everybody. So there you go. Can I make a confession? I only just realised just now that it's Joe Bloggs is a pun on the... Joe Bloggs. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you got there in the yeah. end. Never mind. Yeah. I'm not quick. Like every, isn't it? This is why I normally have a panel show, Joe. They, they rescue me, and it's certainly why I have a live chat room. Hey, look, Joe, I promised I wouldn't take more of an hour of your time tonight. So with the 10 minutes uh, we have remaining, I'll, uh, I'll give you the choice of uh, you know what interests you more, and someone's going to be unhappy in the chat room either way. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about what you thought about the driver market, um, but mm-hmm. also you know the direction. Well, it's easy. It's, there's two words for the driver market. Okay, good. Too early. Too early. Too early to tell. Too, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. That really is ruining what we do here, which is wildly speculate without any kind of evidence. Okay. In that case, speculate <laughs> that one of the Red Bull drivers will get out of his contract. Excellent. Yeah, because there's little performance clauses in their contract, isn't there? And You've I, been reading that blog again, I haven't have. you? I have. I've been reading the internet. There's lots of things on it, people, on that there, the internet. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, in that case, the, the, the thing that, you know, we couldn't get you on here really without talking about the business side of F1. We've had loads of questions in the chat room um, about it. But, oh, oh, this is normally where I place some sort of bumper. No, that's the wrong one, Joe. Oh, it's my fault then. And now you've talked over that bumper. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. You're you're of a big enough status to be forgiven. Big dirty news. For the audio listeners, Joe looked less impressed with that bumper, considering I made that in my shed. Feelings aren't hurt. That's fine. We'll carry on. Uh it's a new cuddly Formula One, is what everybody's is is saying. Of course, we famously brought the French uh, little boy out of the stands who cried because Kimi went out. Allegedly, he could have just been he could have been crying for any reason, uh, but he was wearing a Ferrari shirt. And F one were very very smart, and from what I hear, it was F one rather than it Ferrari. To, Absolutely, yeah. To drag him out of the stands and 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 I don't it, think they dragged him. They probably <laughs> asked him to come with his parents, and they gave him ice creams and made him feel good. You yes, know? No, and course. it was a work of genius absolute work of genius as a PR stunt um, but you know, it's not just a PR stunt it's actually indicative of what they're trying to do which is is to get people to want to go to races because you know up to now you, you've been asked for, to, for a huge amount of money you've been let in you've you've been allowed to sit in a seat if you're lucky you've been overcharged for pretty much everything and that you haven't had an awful lot of fun and therefore people go well why am I doing this so all they're doing is is going back to what you'd call tub thumping promotion. They had a zip line in Spain, which is great. You know, did um, you go on the zip line, Joe? I, I very nearly did because I said to uh, Sean Bratches, the commercial managing director of Formula One, I said, "Have you been on the zip line yet?" We were just we just crossed in the paddock, and he said, "No, you want to come?" And I said, "Sure, that would be fun." He said, "Let's go, let's go do it together." So we arranged a time, and he couldn't make it in the end, but. Um, at the next race, he's threatening that we are going to go and do the zip line together. So um, he's just a really nice guy. You know, he's he's, in th- he's he he makes uh, obelisk in the Asterix cartoons look like a calm figure. <laughs> you know, he he is. I, I think like, maybe it's Asterix. He's just this this massive burst of energy. He probably fell in a in a vat of Red Bull when he was young, or something. But he's just completely hyper. Yeah. Um, and he's rushing around doing deals and coming up with new ideas and just some fantastic stuff. Um, and it's just to have people enjoy themselves and have fun. Yes. And, it, you know, it's great to be given budgets like that. You've got a budget to go and let people have fun. Now, he's a hard-nosed businessman too. 
but you know he's just got lots of good ideas well and, well, people spend money where they want to have fun don't they yeah, i mean that is absolutely. business <laughs> that's why there's trampoline centers popping out everywhere because it's great to jump up and down yeah it is and you know there were just all kinds of funny things and every time i think i just remember another one you know something i'd seen and hadn't sort of registered with you know there were people drawing cartoons on the walls and all through the weekend they were gradually you know it was getting better all the time and there were there were there were wandering minstrels and, <laughs> and what? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There were, there were all kinds of ridiculous things, uh, not to mention the two-seater program. There is an 11th Formula One team now, uh, which has got two two-seater Formula One cars. It's run by Paul Studdart. He used to run Minardi. It has Keith Wiggins, who used to run Pacific Grand Prix, working on it. Um, so and basically, during the weekend, this thing is doing, I can't remember how many it is, but like eight to ten runs, taking VIPs and lucky winners of competitions around in two-seater Formula One cars, driven by ex-Formula One drivers. Admittedly, not the greatest ones ever. But not Maldonado, though. Zolf Baumgartner and Patrick Friesacker. Both, both were, have driven many, many miles in two-seaters as well, I should add. And they look pretty damn impressive, and they use old-style engines, so they scream. I was going to say, how how do you get in there? How just how important do you have to be? You know, editor of uh, GP Plus magazine, if, for example. If you pay enough money or are a TV <laughs> star, actually, there was a, there was a sad yeah. moment the other day in uh, Barcelona because in one of the sessions, Simon Lazenby of Sky Television got all togged up in all the gear, and he was sitting in the car ready to go. And they couldn't let him out because the other one had broken down out on the track. And therefore, it had become a safety issue. And so he had to then get out and take all his gear off. And he was well gutted by that. But TV people, um, I don't know. We'll see. I've never done one, actually. But, you know, maybe one day. Um, it, it might be quite fun. But, you know, if you're there, there are super VIP packages which are going to be sold in the Paddock Club, uh, which will include this. Like you say, you, that, that's a serious amount of money. But nonetheless, you know, there are people out there who got it, you know. So fun is good business. But I mean, is this just an extension of, you know, obviously Bernie was entertaining people. Perhaps it was a different kind of Not entertainment. Really. No, no. It was a bit like the sort of um, it, it was entertainment in, in the finest Soviet traditions, I would say, you know, beer and a bit of um, bit of clog dancing. Bit um, of, a bit of fine is, company of an evening. Yeah, this is yeah. this is this is much more entertaining. They're letting more people in. There, there's there's um, you don't have to uh, fight for a pass, which you know the passes have been a trouble for. I've seen sponsors yelling at Bernie because they can't get their chairman into the paddock, you know, and that's just not sensible. Um, and so I think that what we're having now is just a softening and and a, a, an intelligent use of. Uh, the assets that Formula One has. Now, I'm not saying that Bernie wasn't intelligent, I should add. Uh, he just had a different way of doing it, and um, it, it wasn't working towards the end. Chat room, that is naughty. If you want to get into the paddock, just dress your child up in Lance Stroll merchandise and wait for the inevitable crash. Guys, we're never going to get Absolutely. far. Absolutely. No, no, listen, I wrote a piece the other day saying, because Ferrari's at the moment famously bad with the press, <laughs> I said, well, the Formula One press is just simply yeah. just start crying every time we're on television. Um, in order to get to speak to Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, I've got a seven-year-old. I've definitely got that lined up. But look, what, what our fans are really interested in with this takeover is are we going to see an end to the things that have been frustrating us? Things like, you know, Sochi, people don't like Abu Dhabi. Personally, I, I don't mind Abu Dhabi as a race. Um, are we going to see a change, do you think, in where Liberty Media are going to take Formula One physically in the world? Like, do they have a penchant yes. for the yes, classics? I'm sure, you, I'm sure we will see America coming big. I hope so. Uh, I think we'll see three, three races or more in America. Uh, I think we'll lose one or two of the more dubious Asian races. Um, I have no idea why we're in Azerbaijan. I have no idea. The idea that last uh, year was the European Grand Prix is beyond I my I think you'll find, Joe, that that's because Baku welcomed us all. I think it's because Baku had a horse-choking wedge of what the Australians would call Wonga, <laughs> uh, and they uh, gave it to Bernie. Somebody uh, superimposed on the banners they had around the track, everything's fine. <laughs> Hashtag everything's fine. You know, don't look any further. No, absolutely right. No, no, but you're absolutely right too, because that was uh, I was walking the track one day, and one of the German TV commentators, very clever guy, said to me, said, I don't understand the architecture here. And I said, nor do I, because we're walking through Paris in the 1890s, um, and we've just come from the Soviet bit of town, and we're heading towards the medieval bit. And we're going, well, who the hell built this bit? 
And the answer was, it's Disneyland. They actually, they, they made it look nice to get tourists. And um, it was it actually fake so, facades to the buildings? Well, it or? wasn't, yeah, it wasn't facades. They were just designed buildings from Paris in the 19, 1890s, you know. So uh, it, it's no different to Disneyland. And to be fair, um, a few other places have done that sort of thing as well. But, um, you know, when you're trying to create a tourist industry, um, so, you know, there, there was a famous occasion in Melbourne where they put yachts on the Albert Park Lake to make it look glamorous, which is ridiculous because the Albert Park Lake is just a concrete lake with no way in or way out. Right. Um, but having said that, half a mile the other way is the sea and lots of yachts. So it was only sort of a con job. But, you know, the fact is that until they started doing that, they then, they then had a contract that allowed for whenever you go to the Australian Grand Prix, you see helicopter shots of town and the sea and the park nowadays. And they actually got that written into the contract. Uh, speaking of a con job, uh, Michael in the chat room is saying, Joe, is there any weariness about Liberty and what they're doing around um, anywhere uh, e.g. Ferrari fearing for their Concord agreement money, etc. Is there any weariness that they might sort of cave to the old ways rather than deliver on their promises or on their perceived promises? Uh, I doubt it because Ferrari have got nowhere to go. Um, Ferrari have had it good for a very long time. Good. They, they get they get a huge amount of money more than everybody else and they don't deserve it. And um, good. they get value. They get additional value. People say, oh, they've been around longest, they should get more value. They sell more merchandise than everyone else because they've been around longest. Therefore, they already have more value. They have better sponsors because they have better heritage and better stories to tell. And therefore, they should just shut up and live with it. And I think they probably will in the end because they've got nowhere to go. And I know a lot upset WEC fans and all these things, but no. WEC is a waste of time. You have one race a year that gets a bit of coverage, but you don't have a big full-time, all-year-long, high-profile. Well, don't pull faces. Look at the <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the chat room, after, <laughs> Look at the day after Le Mans 24 hours. They have to advertise in the newspapers yes. that they won Le Mans. And that's all you need to know because you, it, it's, it's a fantastic race, Le Mans. I've been there, and I've been there several times. I was one of the original Radio Le Mans crew, but you didn't know that. And uh, that was a very long time ago, too. <laughs> but... Um, you know, it's it, it's just it's not a commercial choice compared to Formula One. Nor is nor is IndyCar. The Indy Five Hundred is a big race, as we're seeing now with Fernando Alonso. But if he went to Alabama and raced there, the interest levels would go down slightly. I think after the first year or so. Uh, hold on a second. I'm just trying to find a comment from Steve. Where is it? Ah, oh, is it is, WEC first? The thing yeah. is, you've uh, you've blown the chat room up so much that I cannot scroll up quickly <laughs> enough to to find the comment that I wanted to go to. Uh, look, never mind, Joe. Uh, this is the amount of time that I promised I would keep it to, and it's been fantastic. I've had a, a great time on here, so I really hope um, we can persuade you to to come on and and make Inside F1 with with Joe uh, a semi regular feature. Uh, but just thanks for joining us in the podcasting shed. I'd be very happy to do that. I've been having fun um, and uh, I want to do it, as I said before. So let's do it again. As if you don't have enough Twitter followers, Joe, I think 40,000 or so. Uh, not enough, not enough. Not enough. I mean, I think I'm not on television, you see. They've got loads more than me. Uh, I know but, uh, I know what you mean. That's sadly the uh, the way of the world these days. People with a microphone in front of them are inevitably attention seekers. So every listener counts. So, uh, Joe, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's it's uh, at Joe Saywood, my name, which is S A W A R D. Nobody ever spells it right, but uh, that's that's the way it is. So. I triple checked the pronunciation. It is Saywood. It is yes. It, it doesn't make any sense, which is why I've given up trying. I live in France, and I've given up trying to tell them it's Saywood. I'm now Sawah. Well, my name's uh, so ridiculous. I go by Spanners ready on the internet. Uh, so look, uh, if you want to do this again, Joe, though, the shed's all fine and well, but I do suggest that inside the paddock would probably be more appropriate. Don't answer now. Just just think about it. Let that thought uh, settle. Well, inside the paddock would involve paying a large fees, and they're not they're not about to change on that one. I did have a conversation with them about maybe having audiences inside the paddock and the answer is if you charge money we want a slice of it fair which enough. is fair enough it's their game um so i just don't charge money <laughs> fair enough look uh, so guys thank you very much for listening to missed apex podcast this week 
If you enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe to Missed Apex Podcast on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. Also, we would love to have you join us live in the chat room. Find Spanners Ready on YouTube and subscribe. That way, you'll get a notification when we go live. Be sure to catch Joe in all the places he blogs, which is Joe Blogs F1, which I now know is a ridiculously clever pun. Uh, and also consider subscribing to GP Plus magazine. Perfect. There we go. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the show, we have two ways in which you can do this. A, tell everyone, tell them, Missed Apex Podcast adds to your F1 fan experience. Or two, you can give us real money. If you support content creators on Patreon, then please consider supporting us. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click on Patreon on the menu tab. Follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter and stay tuned to our feed for Tech Time, Wafflecast and the Monaco GP review. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Sticking with a fine tradition, I have forgotten about the comment of the week from the chat room. Comment of the week this week is from, I believe it was Christopher Fonseca. I'm not sure. Sorry if I've got this wrong. It's, there's nothing wrong with girls liking boys' films and boys liking girls' films. Don't you dare take away my miscongeniality. Do you know what? I love that film. Is she a model? Is she a copper? Who knows? Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you on Sunday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.